0: Welcome to Ed Leader, with your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Join Dr.
1: Jackson for conversations and reflections on improving educational leadership from the classroom to the boardroom and beyond. Educational leadership is an ever-evolving opportunity to make a real and lasting difference in the lives of students, parents, and the community.
0: Now, here's your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Hi friends, welcome to our fourth episode of Ed Leader. I'm your host, Rob Jackson, and I want to thank you for the tremendous reception this podcast has received. The exponential growth of listeners and subscribers demonstrates how important educational leadership is and the commitment that Ed Leaders have to their own growth. If you enjoy the episode, please take a moment to leave a review and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or your favorite podcast player to help continue to grow the Ed Leader community. Today, I'm going to sit down with an incredible Ed Leader who has just been named the 2020 North Carolina State Superintendent of the Year. We're going to talk about courageous leadership, preserving and passing on the mantle of leadership, being careful stewards of opportunity, and personalizing education to individually meet the needs of students. Of course, our esteemed guest will have the Ed Leader Inbox scenario to tackle as well. Let's get to it. I'm sitting here with an educational leader who's made a difference in countless lives over a long career. He has worked in education for more than 30 years and has served as the superintendent of the Vance County School System in North Carolina since 2015. Under his leadership, the school system's graduation rate has increased dramatically and the dropout rate has fallen to 2% from a five-year high of 5.25%. Student achievement has significantly improved and the district is no longer designated as low-performing. He was named as the Central Carolina Regional Superintendent of the Year in 2014 and again this year. He's a 2017 Friday Medal recipient for his leadership with Implementing Technological Innovation. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Music Education from East Carolina University, a Master's degree in Educational Leadership from North Carolina Central University, and a Doctorate degree in Education from Walden University in Minneapolis. Recently, he was named the 2020 North Carolina Superintendent of the Year. In presentations together, I've laughingly referred to him as the older brother who mother loves best. Please help me welcome my good friend, Dr. Tony Jackson. Welcome, Tony. Hi, thanks good to be here. Tony, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down uh, with me. I'm so excited about this brief conversation, but I I truly value the gift of time that you're giving to me and to each of our leaders. Tony, I believe you've been a superintendent for about 11 years. Is that correct? 11 years. So 11 years as the superintendent, and a couple months ago, I guess it's been by now, sitting in the room when they were just about to name the 2020 Superintendent of the Year for the state of North Carolina. And I heard my brother's name called out, Dr. Tony Jackson from Vance County, and I could not have been more excited. What was that moment like for you?
1: Well, actually, it was a moment of just absolute stun, to say the least. I only entered into that portion of the work because the people who I worked with were so adamant about putting my name in because they really felt very good about the work they had done under my leadership. And I don't make any qualms about giving them the credit for that. And I wish they had announced. It would have been the same for me if they had just announced Vance County Public Schools. That night, I was just shocked, so much so that I really did not hear my name. the person next to me had to tap me and say, it's you. And so I stepped forward and, and it was wonderful to look out and see the faces of those individuals who I whom I work with every day, just beaming with pride, not for me, but for our community, knowing where we had started and where we are today and the journey that we've set and the destination we have put into our our professional GPS for this community, for the school system. So I was elated, extremely
0: proud to be representing those people. I tell you, Tony, and like I said, when I say I was excited and the folks in the room were excited, that's a true statement. That's an authentic statement. And all the more so because in my personal journey, I've been a superintendent now six years, and as I entered the superintendency, a job that can be lonely, there's typically only one superintendent in the entire county, and came to my first state meeting, one of the first people I met was Dr. Tony Jackson, and sharing the same surname, of course, I was drawn to you anyway, but I found in you immediately a very welcoming demeanor. From the moment we've met, you've been somebody who's helped look out for me, and that means a lot to me. You've been a mentor to me, Tony, and I believe that is a large group of people that you mentor, and so I'd like you to kind of talk about a little bit, if you would, what is it mean to you to mentor others? What sense of responsibility or obligation do you feel to to young leaders as they begin their journeys?
1: It's an awesome
0: task, but I, I start with the belief
1: that iron sharpens iron. And in this work, we work in isolation and we build institutions of loneliness when we don't have to. And I committed myself a long time ago that if I were given the opportunity to help someone achieve anything that I've already achieved, and that's my responsibility. I do believe that to whom much is given, much is required. That's right. And so it's required of me. I can't benefit from the leadership mantle if there's no one to pass it to when I'm done with it. I benefited from great mentors, Dr. Dudley Flood and Bill McNeil and Richard Murphy and A lot of just luminaries from across the state who, for whatever reason, saw enough in me to invest. And all of them said that it was my responsibility to give back. And so I've done that my entire career. From the time I walked into a classroom, I believed that it was my job to mentor students to want to be teachers. It was my job to mentor uh, teacher assistants to want to be teachers and principals and teachers to be principals and principals to be directors and directors to be to move on because I received that, that particular gift from other people. And so it's my responsibility to give back. I don't see it as a chore. It's a gift. And I see it as a responsibility. But most importantly, I see it as my obligation to the profession. Uh, We have to give back, and if we want the profession to survive, uh, it's our responsibility to be intentional about mentoring the next generation of leaders. And and you speak of yourself. um, Rob, you brought so much to the table, uh, and you brought so much to the work, that it's been easy to just offer suggestions. But I've learned as much from you as I hope I've given Over the years, we've just been very good colleagues, and I don't see it as mentoring. I just see it as building collegial networks
0: that will help us all survive this work and do good things for children. I tell you, there's no question that we are all better together. When we work together, great things happen for children. Great things happen for teachers and staff members and for our school systems. You used a word that I want to kind of touch back on. You used the word mantle. And I kind of want to take that because I, I really love that visual. That certainly resonates with me when I think about the mantle of leadership or perhaps the mantle of opportunity. And in many ways, Tony, we've been given this just unique opportunity to be stewards of the opportunity, to be stewards of that mantle. And you, you spoke of passing it on to the next generation. And I very much appreciate you giving credit to the previous generation, those who propped us up, we've said we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so, as you think about this stewardship of this opportunity, what does it mean to you that a Board of Education, that a community said that we would like Dr. Anthony Jackson to be our superintendent? What what does that mean to you?
1: Well, it really does mean that they are willing, and this is the third district, served and that they are so, they were so willing at that time to see the reservoir of opportunities that I could bring to remove barriers and, and, and provide uh, the support that those folk in the district uh, who were doing the work uh, could benefit. So I've always uh, seen it as a, as a board of Education invest in me, then I'm required to invest in those. And it becomes this cyclical opportunity for a community to learn from me, for me to learn from them, for me to invest, uh, and for them to invest as we move together. I see it as just a tremendous opportunity for any, to serve any community. Absolutely. Um, and I've served very different communities, but there's been one thread. I've served. Three communities that were all in need or in search of destiny around doing what was right for kids, finding a formula to accelerate or to ignite kids towards doing a better job in the classroom and in the community. And all of these communities saw the superintendent as the catalyst for community change. And so I've had to embrace that as a part of the work, um, but I've embraced it openly because in each situation, those communities have taken the time to invest in me right. to make deposits so that later on they could make withdrawals from our kids and from our schools and from the work that we've, we've done and from uh, the opportunities that we've
0: created to build stronger communities around um, our kids. Absolutely. You know, there's this thought about the superintendency, and we talk to leaders regardless of the context, so the superintendency for the district, the principal for the school, the teacher for the classroom, but this opportunity to really make a real and lasting difference and to be invited as superintendent into a community that has a need to say to you, we need help. We believe you're the one to help us. That's a humbling experience, isn't it?
1: Absolutely beyond humbling. And in fact, it's humbling on one day and scary on the next. Well, that's right. And sometimes Um, it's both in the same day. Both in the same day. (laughs) That's right. Because I think people want the best for our children. And I think a lot of communities, or at least I felt the communities, see the superintendent sometimes as the individual that will, in some way, allow them to deliver their hopes and dreams for their children through education that they see that person as the, the opportunity purveyor, the person who can open doors. And and I think we have to embrace that and be very mindful of that and never take it for granted. Right. I tell uh, staff all the time, we, we've we gone through school. We have to be very sensitive to the fact that for every child we meet, it's their first journey through. That's right. Uh, and so we have to make it special for them. We have to make it special for our families, and for a lot of parents, it's their first time having a child go through, and so it's our job to make sure that schools are uh, delivering on that promise. And I call it the brand promise. Whatever we promise that community, whatever that prom- whatever that community requires of us, I think we have to give it the our best shot to develop it
0: and provide it and uh, deliver it at, at at its at its highest level that we that we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as, as you were sharing, the superintendent um, in many ways becomes the face of the school system, and often the superintendent is invited into, into meetings or into rooms that others may not get to go into, and the superintendent has the opportunity in those rooms, in those conversations, to speak up for our children, to speak up for our community, to really advocate in great measure for those who may not have the opportunity to advocate for themselves. And so thinking about that, transitioning a little bit, Tony, when we think about the superintendency, the Brookings Institute has shared that 56% of superintendents have less than three years of experience. You and I have seen significant turnover in the state of North Carolina among our colleagues. You actually, with 11 years of experience, I just actually did the research, you're the 11th most experienced superintendent in our state, In, in the state of North Carolina, we have 115 superintendents. So you've survived and thrived in a profession that tends to eat folks up. So share with us, paying forward to some of the young leaders, some who may aspire to the superintendency or to superintendents themselves, in thinking about the political nature of the position, What are those things that you would like to share with folks who may aspire to the superintendency or maybe even to frame it this way, what would you like to go back to tell yourself on the first day of the superintendency in terms of how in the world do you ensure that you're going to be there the next day to advocate for the students in terms of surviving in the superintendency? Broad question, but just kind of your thoughts about that. This is my third district, and I would say that for me, I believe firmly
1: that on day one, when you reach the superintendency, there has to be a commitment to be true to your authentic self. I love that, true to your authentic self. You have to be you. I've found that when I've tried to be other people, it just doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, You're the best Rob Jackson there will ever be, and while we share the same surname, I can't be
0: Rob Jackson. And I can't be Tony Jackson, no matter how hard I try. The first thing you have to do is be true to yourself. The second thing is that self-care is important in this work. If you're not healthy and
1: whole, you cannot do this work. That's right. You cannot do this work if you're not healthy physically, emotionally, mentally. All of those things rolled into one. You cannot attend to the things that will come at you. I do believe that your courage is a part of this work. You talked about advocacy. I hope that as long as I'm in this work, that I maintain a sense of courage around standing up for children who can't stand up for themselves, fighting for access and opportunities for kids who cannot do it for themselves. I counted a, 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 a blessing and I counted a gift to be a little, as I've said before, to be a little brown boy who grew up in Washington, D.C., to be able to sit in the superintendent's office. Uh, because at its root, I, I know a lot of my colleagues look at me when I say this, there is a cost to cowardice That's right. in this work. And our kids suffer when we don't advocate for them effectively. And I think we have to be able to tell the story about this vehicle called education and how it can transform kids from where they are today to where they believe they can be. And we don't know that. It's not our job to choose that. We just have to pave the road, give them a car. For some kids, that car is going to just make it. And for some kids, they're going to be in hot rods. But we have to be able to give them uh, the opportunities to take the things that we provide in our schools and use them to their benefit to realize their full potential. And, and then most importantly, I think we have to embrace and accept the moral the ethical and the legal imperative of this work and and be true to it own it and make it a part of the work that you do every single day
0: absolutely yeah Tony I've got to tell you I got goosebumps when you said the words there is a cost to cowardice and that's absolutely true you know you mentioned earlier that our children are going to school for perhaps the first time they only get to be in first grade one year we hope right. so every day becomes important that's right we may only have one opportunity to speak our children's truth in the meetings we're in or in the place we are. And if we don't speak up, that's an opportunity lost and our children deserve our very best. Look, as they would say in my church, that'll preach, brother, that'll (laughs) preach.
1: I've always said this. It's not a fair exchange because when you take a job, when I came to work as an educator, I was told that if I come to work and I work hard in 30 years, I'll be rewarded. I got 30 years to get this thing right. When kids walk into the door, they've got 12 years, 13 if they do pre-K or kindergarten, 13 or 14. They get half the time. Right. That's realize right. their potential. That's not a fair exchange. No, not at all. And and so we have to be intentional about saying that we recognize that and that the urgency for them is not the same urgency for us professionally. And we have to grow almost twice as fast as we would if we would be very honest. About
0: You're exactly right. And, you know, to speak of that honesty, when we think about our children entering pre-K or entering kindergarten, They're not all entering at the same place. It's alarming where our children are entering school in terms of kindergarten readiness or pre-K readiness. And there's a lot of ways to measure that. Mm -hmm. But regardless of the metric, we understand that we have children who aren't as prepared as other children through no fault of their own. They didn't choose where they were born. They didn't choose the circumstances. and, And you and I both work in districts where there's a lot of need. It becomes a compelling piece to why we do the work, certainly, but it really pushes that immediacy of the work, the importance of the work, and the need for that courage you're talking about. I've come to terms with one thing,
1: and and I'm I'm grateful to the folk in Vance County because they've been very supportive of this notion. I've told them that we've had to begin talking about I know a lot of people want to talk about the school-to-prison pipeline and all of those kinds of things, and that's a a failure piece of it. I believe that we have to give as much attention to the hospital-to-home pipeline and what we do during that period of time, and then the home-to-church pipeline, then the home-to-school pipeline. And we won't have to worry about those others because kids will come with the requisite skills that they need to be successful in this environment we call school. And it challenges me as an educator sometimes to really think about different ways. Because think about it, we say up until the time they get to school that it's okay for kids to reach those important milestones when they're what? Ready. Mm -hmm. They roll over when they're ready. They wean when they're ready. They stand up. They, they wobble at the table when they're ready. They do all of those other things when they're ready, but they go to school when they're five. Exactly. An artificial date that way are not. They're five. And then we set milestones from that point as if all of them reached the ones from home to school that they reached them all at the same time. And I think we've got to be honest about that and really build portfolios around how to address the needs of kids who come at different places. That's why I've always been a huge proponent of personalization for kids. And if we would at least gather the courage to really personalize and truly personalize the educational experience for every single child, then I think we will make far more progress moving kids along as opposed to setting an artificial start and saying every kid is going to be there. I believe every kid can live up to whatever their full potential is. I'm a true believer in the power of possibilities. I'm a kid that if you, no one who knew me would ever say I would be sitting in this chair. In fact, Uh, I ran into my high school principal a few years ago, and uh, I was a principal at the time, and I told him uh, what I was
0: doing, and he laughed hysterically. So... uh, did he said, say you'd been well-prepared because right. you spent so much time in his office? That's exactly <laughs> what he said,
1: and, and, and I'm proud of that because I learned the job from the inside out. Uh, but, but I think we have to be honest. Yes, there's, a, there's an authenticity that we have to put in front of them to say that we expect them, to, and not only do we expect them to come and be ready on that day, And we also expect them to leave us polished and finished when most of us didn't leave polished. That's right. In fact, I have friends who are my age who are still trying to find themselves. Exactly. So I think we have to be honest with them about the journey. That's right. I love saying to people, I and even my own, my personal children, I've said to them, I want you to enjoy the journey. There you go. I want you to enjoy the journey. I don't want you to look back and say, I should have. Take advantage of
0: every opportunity. Use every resource at your disposal.
1: enjoy the journey
0: that's so powerful and i'm invigorated just listening to you you know it's an exciting time to be an educational leader and i for one am proud and excited that you will have the opportunity that being the state superintendent of the year will afford you i'm advising our state board of education opportunities to speak in large gatherings to really speak up and share Uh, the work that you've accomplished but also this vision you have this work around birth through four this work around understanding that children are ready when they're ready and we need to personalize and differentiate what we're doing as educational leaders you've got mail just when everything is going perfectly someone makes a choice that lands squarely on your desk what will you do and how will you handle it it's time to check the inbox So there's the bell, Tony. So we've got something in our inbox. Our superintendent, Vance we just found out someone walked into your office and said, Dr. Jackson, a teacher, this teacher's inexperienced perhaps, a teacher has posted something on social media about the school that's not flattering. As our superintendent, how do you handle that, Dr. Jackson? First
1: of all, we have processes, and did it happen during the school day? Is it protected speech around this area? And most importantly, what's the context and has it created some level of disruption? Once you've learned that, then I think you have to have a conversation. Well, you have to decide whether a conversation is warranted. Right. I think people have the right to have. Their own opinions, uh, even when they're not flattering right. uh, the school. But most importantly, I hope that there's a relationship that's, right. that's been built over time that would allow you to have a conversation to understand why, and then you can talk with this individual about the impact of such. And then you could also uh, inform them of, of school board policy around anything that could be disruptive. But most importantly, I would first appeal to them as a person and say to say to them, "Is what problem are you trying to solve?" And will this solve it or will this make it worse? And then we'll decide where we will go from there. Ultimately, I want to respect their right to have a voice, but I also want to have them understand that they're on the team and they're expected to be supportive of the team. That's right. And they're expected to not do anything that would be destructive to the team. And so then there are consequences for that as well, as there are rewards for it when you do the right thing. I would hope that common sense would prevail
0: and I would hope that we would be able to do the right things and bring that situation to a quick resolution. There's a reason you're the State Superintendent of the Year. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Tony, I greatly appreciate the time you've spent with us. Congratulations, my friend. I'm just so proud to be able to call you colleague, mentor, most importantly, my friend. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with North Carolina State Superintendent of the Year, Dr. Tony Jackson. He certainly gave us a lot to consider and reflect upon, particularly the cost of cowardice or the lack of courage to speak up for our students, and how humbling it is when you are given the mantle of leadership in a classroom, a school building, or a school system. You can follow Dr. Tony Jackson on Twitter at DrJackson06 or by searching for the Vance County Schools District hashtag, hashtag, Vance County Proud. Thank you for spending time with me today, and thank you for all that you do for every student, every teacher, and every staff member. You are making a difference. If no one else has told you, I want you to know that I believe in you. Have a great week. Good day. Thank you for listening to the Ad Leader Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review with five stars on Apple Podcasts so that we may continue to grow the Ed Leader community. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with Dr. Jackson. Until next time.